0: If you've ever been in a group, whether it's a group therapy or maybe just a classroom, and there's a lot of people and it can be intimidating, especially when it's your turn to talk and group therapy though, is so important and it can be so valuable to somebody. And so we're going to be talking about that very thing in this episode. And the title of this episode is Raising Learning Retention and Recall. Through Proven Strategies and Delivery Skills with Andrew Bort, Coming right up.
1: Oh, don't worry about today or things we cannot change. It's over. The past we can't erase.
0: And welcome back to the Mental Health Today Show. My name is John Cordray, and I am a licensed therapist and the host of this show. And I am so happy that you have joined us for today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this, this topic. Because it's about group therapy, and and that is something that I don't think I've talked a whole lot about on my show, but it is so important and so powerful, and I wanted to bring on Andrew. And, And Andrew is the executive director of the Institute for the Advancement of Group Therapy, and he's been working in the field of education for over 15 years as a teacher, as a teacher trainer, a curriculum designer, and academic administrator. And Andrew was even selected as the Employee of the Year for Disney English, which is the Walt Disney Company, in 2011. He received his Master's of Education from the University of Illinois in 2015. He's a licensed teacher in the state of Texas, is certified in TFL through Cambridge University. T-E-L-F-C through Columbia University's Teacher College and E-C-STEM through Shanghai Normal University in association with the Children's Center at Caltech and is a certified Disney trainer. Andrew, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, John. And I I think you just figured it out that uh, academia has just as many acronyms as behavioral health, huh?
0: (laughs) Yes. I tell you, uh, all these acronyms, and and you want to say them correctly, but it's like, who in the the world would know exactly what the acronyms mean anyway?
1: (laughs) I know exactly what you mean.
0: (laughs) Well, hey, I I, I want to get right to it, and uh, I'm really, really excited that you are on here because uh, you the, the title is raising learning retention in recall and uh, you have a lot of experience as an educator and you're doing group therapy tell me tell me a little bit about that are you a therapist or are you a teacher what what is it that would you say was your title
1: well that's a fantastic question i am not a therapist and actually, that is one of, that's one of the challenges uh, that I face so far. I, I do think it, it might be easy to dismiss some of the points I'm making because I do not have a clinical background. However, I, w- I would argue that that is a logical fallacy because the points that I am talking about have everything to do with the neuroscience of how we as humans learn and tried and true education practice on how to elevate the retention and recall when you're in charge of the learning of a big group of people. Because of course, everyone is going to be at, at quite a different level as far as their working memory, their processing speed, background knowledge about a certain topic. Even background experiences will, will color the perceptions of, of the information that they are receiving or the skills that they're practicing within a group setting.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense. You don't have to be a, a licensed therapist to run a group therapy because the the topics I, I would imagine uh, that you bring up has a lot to do with the learning and education and, and trying to bring retention and recall. I mean, obviously, that's the title of our, our episode. So tell me, Andrew, what, what would be some of the age range that you work with?
1: Well, I've actually, myself as a teacher, I have worked with children as young as two and all the way through the university and teaching adult classes as well. But right now, we're actually working with facilities and clinicians themselves to deliver clinician training on the delivery side of education and and group therapy. So let me give you an example. If we have a we have, we have teacher training, correct? So like after the teachers finish their degree, whether it's in English or math or science, whatever they're teaching, that's separate, that's their degree, that's their content area. After that, they need an additional certification to be an actual teacher. And that focuses on the delivery skills. And the way I look at it is the clinician's Content area, their area of expertise is helping people recover, helping them accept or acknowledge, uh, give them the coping and the recovery skills necessary to leave a me- a lead a meaningful life outside of the safety of the recovery space or the therapy space so you need there there are there are two components to being to transporting knowledge and skill to another person, part of it is being an expertise in your content area. The other part is diversifying instruction, is knowing how to find out where your your patients or your learners are on their journey and making sure that the lesson is tailored to give them the appropriate amount of desirable difficulty to challenge them a little bit, but make it obtainable so they don't get frustrated and give up.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that that and that's a big point right there because when when it's not attainable, it is easy to get frustrated and and then it's easy to give up and then you don't learn and you don't get the help that you need.
1: Correct. And if it's too easy, I mean there's a problem there too. And so it it does take skill to figure out exactly where your learners are and also to provide them as individuals even though you're in a group setting the exact support that they need.
0: Mhm. That makes a lot of sense, and so what? What exactly then do you talk about
1: in these groups? Well, so again, when when we work with the facilities, when we work with the clinicians, it's actually the workshop that we deliver. And so our workshop begins by challenging some preconceptions that many clinicians have about how we learn. So we address the difference between knowledge and skill, and again. You cannot, you, you cannot learn a skill by hearing somebody talk about it or by watching someone write bullet points on a board. I mean, could you imagine learning how to swim from reading a book or <laughs> learning how to ride a bike from watching somebody else? Knowledge and skill yeah. are not the same thing. You can know what you're supposed to do on a bike. You need to pedal. You need to balance. And, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do it once you get on that bike. And so a big part of recovery capital, I mean, they are skills. That means they need to be practiced. And from from what that we've seen in the group therapy space as it stands is a lot of didactic instruction, theory, knowledge transfer, and a lot of people talking one at a time. But that's not how you learn a skill. So what I want to do is ask the question, what do we want the patients to learn by the end of this session? What is the most effective way to get them there for everyone in the room? Not just one, because we have, might have eight or 12. How, what's the most effective way for everyone to make progress? How am I going to know if they've obtained what I want them to? What am I going to do if they haven't? But equally important, what am I going to do if they have? If I have half of my room that, wow, we've done it on this side, but the other half hasn't, what do you do at that point? And those are the questions that we are asking, and we are providing the tools to answer and address.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And and these are some of the things that are not really taught in in school. We're just not taught it, and, and we're taught a lot of other things, but what you're talking about that's something that that needs to be taught outside of what we learn in school, so this is a fantastic service
1: i that That's why we're here. I know it is an ambitious goal to you know try to change the 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 lens through which we view group therapy, but i I look at it as a learning environment, and I look at it as precious time. It is very precious time that the therapist gets with their patients. And I think it should be used to the greatest extent possible. We need to maximize the learning. We need to maximize the retention. And we have decades and decades of research and educational best practice that can be applied in this space. We just need to do it
0: exactly. And and there it is. We we need to apply it, and we need to we need to seek it out from experts like yourself. And so so I want to just kind of veer off just a little bit and i'm very interested andrew of why why and, and how did you get involved with the institute for advancement of group therapy
1: well i'll tell you john that i am, have been i still am i'm in continuous recovery myself and through my experience in the recovery process i I did not have a good experience in group therapy. And I'll tell you, I, I've told that to some of the clinicians that I've talked to. Uh, it wasn't the right thing to say because uh, that that pushes people away pretty fast. But it, it was my experience. Now, I have ADHD. My My mind moves very quick. And I wasn't in a great place either while I was in, you know, when I was going to those meetings and or I was in group therapy. So for me, I... I was bouncing my knees up and down. I was looking at the clock. I was wondering when the heck am I going to get out of here? And half the time, I didn't even know what the objective was. I didn't even know what I was supposed to be learning. It just seemed like it seemed like there wasn't a plan. Like there was well, let's see how everybody's feeling today, and let's see what happens. But what I learned not only through my professional development at Disney, but all. You know, education in in business, hope is not a strategy. So you you need to come in with some sort of plan, some sort of objective. And if you can get people who are like me, or, you know, the opposite of me, like you need to be able to deliver the content to a wide range of personalities and a wide range of people and who have different learning preferences. So there are ways to do that again, through diversification of instruction, excuse me, and some tried and true teaching practices that will be very, very effective in the group therapy setting.
0: We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, this is
1: Ross, the host of Smells Like Humans. Each week, We talk about the curious things that people do. This show is for you when you're in the mood for unscripted, lighthearted conversation, personal stories, and just a smattering of psychology and information you can use. I promise we will make your day pass a little faster and put a smile on your face. Sometimes silly, sometimes serious, but always fun. Please join us, because no matter who you are, we all smell like human, please follow the link in the show notes.
0: Wow. So yeah, I, I, I really, really like to hear people who are in leadership of these mental health and and educational companies, they developed it or or started or uh, became a leader in it out of their own hurt and pain. Out of their own experiences, and I think a lot of times that is the the best thing, because when you talk to someone, you can say, "I've been there, I know what it's like. I know what it feels like and and so that has a lot of a lot of impact as well, so which is is, is fantastic so you you mentioned that you worked for Disney for a while. I know it's been a while. And I, I, I loved Walt Disney company and I I would just love to know and learn a little bit about what you did there as well.
1: Sure. So the year was uh, 2008, I had just graduated and gotten my teaching credential, but there was a crash, you know, us economy and I could not find a permanent position. Oh, there were only uh, long-term substituting jobs available at the schools that I was interested in working in. So I looked outside, I looked abroad and I saw that there was a, uh, jobs available in, you know, many different countries. But that's a really big risk to take. That's a really big jump. And so I decided I'm going to go with Shanghai, China because it's a big city and because the Walt Disney Company is there. And if i put all my cards out on the table i that's the that's the version i'm used to telling i also thought that if i stayed in the united states i was going to die and because i went because i knew that china was so uh serious about drugs i thought that that was a safe place for me to send myself that's the uh, that's that's the other reason and forgive me for not including that the first time i'm just so used to telling it the other way mhm yeah so I thought you know I I heard rumors that in China if they catch you with drugs not only will they uh, execute you but they'll they'll send the bullet to your parents and make them pay for it make them pay for the bullet I don't know if that's ever true but that that's something that the the expat community we always used to tell each other that stuff and I do know that they they come in and they'll take foreigners out of bars and pluck their hair out and test them and yeah, you will get deported or sent to an uh, reeducation camp, or if you're smuggling, yeah, yes, you you can be executed. That is for sure. Hmm. Yeah. So I I went there. I went there to try to save my own life. I guess I guess is one way to look at it. But also, uh, no, I was interested in in living and experiencing a different culture. Also, I was excited because, you know, I did know Disney and I just, I needed a change the, the current environment I was in was not working and I, I got out.
0: Well, that is, uh, you going to Disney, the kind of the main reason was what you were experiencing. And you said that you thought you were going to die.
1: Yes. I, I, if I, if I had hadn't left, I, I would have. Because I mean, I I was going through withdrawal on the plane, and for a couple of days after that. But the excitement of being in a brand new c- city, and boy, was it exciting! That actually helps. That ha- That help. Ha- that helps a lot. You know, a, a lot more than than sitting in bed under the covers. I, I I don't know why. I I just for for me that being in a brand new place it, it helped it helped me kind of refocus and. Think about what's next. I, I almost accepted that I left a certain part of my life behind, and that that really did work for a while. Little did I know, the drinking culture in China is much much different, and it is quite common to have alcohol over over lunch. It's it, and it's everywhere. So the schedule wasn't easy either because when I got there, you know, we were we were an after school English program. So we you know we taught Chinese children English using the the timeless stories and uh characters of Disney, which was really, really it was a fantastic program and i and I really loved it. But we worked from about one thirty in the afternoon to about nine at night. and so after work. All of the expats, we would all go out, and you know it—it—it it, it, it turned into a to a new struggle for me, essentially. You know, I didn't have to worry about some of the things I was worried about in the United States as much, but my—I I started drinking heavier, and you know, eventually it, that that caught up to me too. Hmm.
0: And yet, here now, years later, you're not only the executive director, but the co-founder of the Institute for Advancement of Group Therapy. So your, your life, your, your experience and your hurt and your pain has come to fruition. And all of that, all that past and the experience that you have now, you are able to bring your skills, your experience, and your past together to be able to help, these educators help the therapists be able to help their groups in, in group therapy. So, I, I, I have another question in regards to group therapy for you, Andrew. Uh, we hear the term a lot, and, and you know, it's, it, we we talk about it, but I don't know if people understand exactly what group therapy is. Would you mind kind of explaining a little bit? Because I think. For most people they have in their mind maybe a movie or maybe it's a TV show and maybe it's similar but are there other things that maybe people aren't really thinking of when it comes to group therapy?
1: That is a great question John and the problem with answering it is that it varies wildly from place to place. It depends on the facility on who is delivering, or if there are multiple people who are responsible for the group, the size of the group, the the type of group, whether it's a CBT or a process group. So a more general answer would be, it is a learning environment. It is a place where we want a population of people to go so they can gain additional knowledge and skill. So when they leave, they they will have a better chance than when they walked in that is that is the most simple way for me to explain it because it's very difficult when we try to pin down a specific model because at this campus or at this center it's going to look different from that center even places that have an existing curriculum where you'll see the therapist reading from a book that's not going to be done the exact same from room to room even in the same facility and frankly The people in the room are going to be interpreting it differently. And that's why I'm a big proponent of there are multiple paths to recovery. But according to neuroscience and the way we learn, because our schema, our background knowledge, the things that we bring in with us, they are involved in us processing and internalizing information. So even two people in the same exact type of recovery program, they're on their own individual paths because they're hearing and they're, they're receiving different information.
0: And that's exactly what I was trying to get at. So what you just described very eloquently, it's not what we think of when we watch a movie or see a TV show. It's not what Hollywood shows us. It's individualized. Many people come into one room with different backgrounds and they bring a certain energy as well as the the instructor, whether it's a therapist or whoever is leading the group. And it's, it's a place where we all come together and we learn from one another because your background is different from my background, but the, both of us, if we are in this group, we can learn from one another.
1: Yes, you're absolutely, you're absolutely correct. Keep going.
0: No, and I, and I, I, I was just going to say that sometimes people look at and think of group therapy as boring or not good. They don't want to do it. They don't want to talk. And it, they, they think of, well. I just have to do this if they're being made to do it, but it could actually be a very powerful therapy technique.
1: It absolutely can. And that's why what we're focusing on is building engagement for everyone involved. And that's what I mean by diversification of instruction. You have to diversify the instruction while, while it's true. And this is a misconception. Like there, there's not Like left brain, right brain, or there's not learning styles. Like for example, you're you're not a you're not a visual learner. Your your entire brain is engaged while you're learning. Okay, we can see this from fMRI scans and memories. Like when we are exposed to them, you know they they're encoded by senses. So you would not be able to recognize a bird's chirp through seeing it. Right. These are all separate memory buckets in our brain. So it's very, very important to deliver information in multiple ways. Like, for example, think of a highway. Okay. If a highway is information and I just told it to you, I just, I just, I told you a new, new fact. I just built one on ramp to that highway. But if you forget what I told you, then you can't get on the highway. Now, if I told you, you said it back to me, you wrote it down. I showed you through an image or a visual, and then I had you do a collaborative problem-solving activity. Now you have seven on-ramps to the same highway. Much more likely you're going to be able to get to that information if you need to later because you have seven on-ramps instead of one.
0: And that's retention and that's recall, right?
1: That's the first part of it. Yes. <laughs> so the, the way, the way neuroscience and, and learning works is we have neurons that link in our brain when we, when we hear new information or we experience new things, but they, they are not hardened yet. Like they're very easily, very easily forgotten. Like I could ask you questions like how many, how many, students or or friends do you remember from sixth grade? Or what did you get for your 12th birthday? You're not going to remember that stuff, right? Unless it was a very, very meaningful event. If we want to be able to remember and recall, we need to practice. We need to fire those neurons over and over and over again. You can think about it like walking through a forest. The first couple of times, you're just going to be walking over grass and leaves. But eventually, you're going to wear A groove into that dirt. And now you're going to be able to find your path to the destination in the forest whenever you want. And that's that's how learning works. And just because you know you are struggling with addiction doesn't mean you learn different than everybody else. We all learn the same.
0: I think that's an excellent point. Excellent. Because someone who is struggling with addiction, and you know what that's like, right? Absolutely. There's a lot of, a lot of shame that can come from that and a lot of self, just beating yourself up for it. And, and it'd be very easy to say to yourself or to think to yourself, I don't learn the same way. It, it, everyone else is smarter than I am. And it's really easy to get into that negative mindset. And, but what you're saying is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're addicted or not. We all learn the same way.
1: We do. And not only that, but that's what I think you illustrated how important the clinician is. So I don't want anybody to think that, oh, he, you know, he doesn't think clinicians are doing their jobs effectively. No, no, no. Clinicians are incredibly important for the reason that you just said. They are, they are the masters of the content. They're the guide. So nobody knows what exact therapeutic intervention might be appropriate for a given moment better than the therapist. Like they are, they are key. But what we're talking about here is, is separating the, the content mastery from how we're going to get everybody on, on the boat and going as quickly as possible in a very, very short amount of time. You know, we want to increase that practice. We want to increase the patient talk time. So many, even if you were to go on YouTube right now and look up fantastic examples of group therapy, I guarantee you 90% of what you're going to see is one person talking at a time. And let me tell you something. If you are sitting there for an hour listening to somebody else talk, you're not learning. You're probably not even paying attention. And how will the therapist know what, what you've retained and what you haven't in that situation? They won't. So the the strategies that we're talking about, I mean, they cover everything from engagement tasks, team exercises, focus tasks, setting objectives, scaffolding like memories and like facilitation. There's there's so many that we cover, but all of them are designed to help the entire group progress as quickly as possible in the given time. And uh, uh, some pushback I've gotten is, well, what about process groups? if If, if somebody needs the group to slow down, And they and they need for, you know, for someone's emotional well-being to stop and listen, even if it takes an hour, then that's absolutely what they should do. But they should do it because it's the right thing to do, not because it's the only thing they know how to do.
0: Mm, Big distinction there. Excellent. Andrew, thank you so much for just talking about what you do and and just the whole bringing awareness to group therapy and, and how important it really is. Before I let you go, one of the things I like to do is ask my guests and uh, talk about self care a lot, and it's so important. And uh, I, I like to ask my guests because everyone's a little different, and when it comes to self care. And so I want to ask you, what do you do for self care?
1: Ooh, what a fantastic question! For my self care, i I keep my schedule and my routine. It is very, very important to me. So when I get up in the morning, I get coffee for my wife before she gets out of bed. I make sure I'm up about a minute before her. I cook breakfast for my daughter as my daughter's getting ready for school. I go for a run, or or maybe maybe I'll post something on LinkedIn first, and then I and then I'll go for a run. And uh, I I just I have I have my schedule, and that's how I take care of myself. I really and then. I, I don't know if that's too simple or what you're looking for, but that's I keep my schedule. That's how I take care of myself.
0: No, I, I'm not looking for anything in particular. I just want to know what you do because everyone's different. Just like you said a little bit ago, we're all different and we're all di- on different paths and we can learn from each other.
1: Exercise, sleep, and give. It, yeah. Exercise, sleep, give, and be a role model. That's, what, that's my self-care. Oh, nice. I love
0: that. Well, if uh, any of our my listeners were interested in reaching out or, or trying to find you, where would they go? Like, do you have a website that you can give? I know we're going to give a lot of it into our show notes, but what is your the best website or best form of contact for you?
1: Well, you can either find me on uh, LinkedIn or go to grouptherapycertification.com. You can see there everything that we have to offer and also a few articles and some some research documents and things. So when I you know, when I say that the skills are, are tried in true practice, they're, they're proven to work. I'm not using that as a buzzword. In fact, uh, we can we can post the links to some of the research in, in the comment section too. I don't mind sending that to you if you want. But I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody more about this. I do want to connect, especially if you're a doubter. If you don't believe in what I'm saying, please let's talk. I'd, I, you know, I'd love to learn something from you. Maybe you can learn something. Wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, right? Oh, that's
0: great. Excellent. Well, yeah. If you're a doubter, reach out to Andrew for sure. All right. Well, I'm gonna just kind of close the episode here, but I just, again, want to thank you so much for coming on and, and taking some time to share with my audience about what you do and, and the importance of group therapy, and uh, it is greatly needed. And and there may be therapists out there that really are interested in learning more as well, and maybe they want to be a part of this themselves.
1: Yeah, that'd be fantastic. So our, our program does count for uh, CEU hours in addition to the certification. Uh, what we're really trying to do is Certify in entire facilities would be would be the best way. And that way it would bring more consistency to the delivery across an organization. That's a that's a big thing for me. You know, it's part about being at Disney and, and expanding from three schools to 44 schools. I, I'm really big on quality and consistency across the board. And so my preferred way is to get everybody certified.
0: I like that a lot. Well. Thanks again, Andrew, for coming on. And I want to thank you all for listening to this show. I hope it was helpful and beneficial to you and encouraging to you. And I want to encourage you all to continue to work on yourself. And remember, the Mental Health Today show has been championing your mental health since 2015. Take care and bye bye.